Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. My name is Peter Hostrosser, and I'm the host. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, throw out a like there, and I'd love some feedback. If you head over to disrupteducation.co, you can connect with me there. You can read my blog, see where I'll be speaking, what's going on around disrupting education. I'm a proud member of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network. There is so much going on in education. It's really not uh, able to be covered in one podcast. So there are so many different podcasts in that podcast network. The EdUp Experience Podcast Network will go anywhere from legal to esports to technology um, to uh, post-secondary opportunities. There's just so much with the EdUp Experience Podcast Network, uh, and I'm a proud member of that. Head over to edupexperience.com to check that out as well. I'd like to thank my uh, sponsor for this episode, Trust-Based Observations. If you head over to Trust-Based, T-R-U-S-T-B-A-S-E-D.com, you can also check out the notes of this podcast. There are terrible observation methods out there. And with all the different evaluations that are not really improving teaching and learning, and in this time of change, we need something better. And I got to tell you, trust-based observations is that. Head over to trustbased.com. Check out the notes of this podcast. You won't be disappointed. On this podcast, I have Dr. Lynn Kep, and she's the vice president of the AVID Center, which is a nonprofit assisting Uh, educators in closing the opportunity gap to prepare all students for college, career, and life. I got to tell you, they focus on strategies for greater engagement, rigor, literacy, and equity in the classrooms as schools begin a reopening for in-person learning. We talk about collective educator agency. That's a big term and a big subject in this conversation. You don't want to miss it. Hang on. We'll be right back after these messages. With current methods of teacher evaluations not improving teaching and learning, it's time for a change. With a frightening teacher shortage among us, if we want teachers to stay and we really want to improve teaching and learning, we have to transform the way we observe and evaluate teachers. Trust-based observations provides that transformative change. You see, we understand that first and foremost, We're in the people business. If you want to build meaningful, differentiated, trusting relationships with each teacher and develop safe spaces where empowered teachers embrace taking those risks to grow practice because they know they're supported, you want to head to TrustBase.com. The results in these types of observation methods outlined in TrustBase observations are going to be improved teaching and learning and workplaces where teachers want to stay. Trustbase.com. Welcome to this episode of Disrupt Education. I got Dr. Lynn Kep here. Lynn, thank you so much for hanging out with us on Disrupt Education. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here and have this conversation. Awesome. Well, let's uh, start off with a little bit about you. Who are you and what roles do you play around education? I am a teacher. I started my career as a high school science teacher and continued my career focused on teaching teachers and have dedicated my life to doing that, both from my education studies, 
my work in education nonprofits. And right now, I work at Avid as a vice president of learning products, programs, and services, where I have the great privilege of leading a fabulous team, thinking about how we develop professional learning and services and resources for educators. So that's my passion. And for those people that aren't familiar with Avid Center, we are a national nonprofit where we support educators to spark and support thriving learning cultures that prepare students for a future of possibility. We work at a national scale in about 7,500 schools. We support the development of over 8,000, excuse me, 85,000 educators annually. And we impact more than 2 million students a year. I can't wait to jump into that. Um, Obviously, with uh, the pandemic and the changing, the the very fast changing paces of education and the different things going on. Um, But before that, I have to ask, Lynn Kep as a student, uh, talk us through maybe your learning journey um, and you can go as far back as you want uh, all the way through your PhD. What, what, what kind of student were you, were you like in, in maybe middle school and high school and then beyond? So uh, I have an interesting learning journey in terms of it. when I was in elementary school, I moved quite frequently, uh, almost every other year. So I'm one of those students who would have benefited from a standard curriculum across the country as I moved from Indiana to New Jersey to California and back and forth. So I did a lot of movement um, and ended up in California. I'm an LA USD graduate for high school. And I was actually a very good student. I was very successful. I'm very good at school. Um, I liked it and really, really, really enjoyed it. And I think that's one of the things that led me into teaching. And But I recognized when I started teaching that my experience, what I thought was a, you know, what I perceive as a typical learning experience was not the same as my students. And so really, I think my biggest education came about when I started teaching uh, in La Puente, California, with a student population that was different than my peer group and realized that not everyone learns the same. And what was successful for me wasn't successful for all students. And and it took me a little bit to learn that. Um, And so when I think about my learning journey, that then prompted me to think about, wow, um, how can I help? Because in in my school, there were some students, some teachers who really worked very hard to support the development of all. And then there were others who did not. And, you know, struggled with why are you teaching if you're not really seeming to be happy to be here, you're not really caring about kids, you care about the content. And so that propelled me through my continual educational journey around developing teachers and focusing on teacher development to think about how, because I think teachers are the most impactful people and can be on a student's lives. They also can limit the possibilities that those students see themselves. So I'm always thinking about how can we help teachers really turn on what's possible and ignite that spark in students. And so, you know, my education then continued to be this continual quest from working with student teachers, running graduate programs of education, working with new teachers and working at AVID. So that has been my, because again, my experience uh, in K-12 was really pretty sheltered. And so that kind of has led me to where I am today. I, you found your why 
kind of through your experiences, which is which is really cool. I think a lot of teachers do that. Um, um, you know, we go into our different paths, but uh, it is amazing um, why some teachers will, I mean, unfortunately, just love their curriculum so much and not connect. Um, and and you know, um, but it's it's great that you saw a need there and, and jump into that. We're in this unbelievable time in education. Um, I never thought in my entire career that um, things like this would happen. Um, it's interesting. It's good. It's change. It's difficult. Um, and so now some of the things that you've, I, I know you have studied and seen beforehand uh, in your career have surfaced um, in front of a, many. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to pivot into, you know, Avid is a Talk a little bit about how it's changing and working with uh, educators because we're burning out. There's a lot of different needs going on. Um, I've known your organization pre-pandemic, um, and it's like, yes. Uh, so that's my little cheerleader moment. But um, what I wanted to, to give you an opportunity here, just to kind of talk about, talk us through that journey. Um, you know, May uh, March 13th hit 2020. Um, you were doing a lot of things already. Um, how has it changed or maybe even stayed the same? Or um, what are the different things that you have seen um, happen throughout the last almost two years now? There's been a lot. It's interesting. We're just looking at, we're coming upon the two-year journey. And, and what I have to think about, what excites me the most about AVID and both pre-pandemic and post is I think that what we focus on is helping teachers. Like, I don't believe any teacher goes into teaching just because I need a job and I'm working nine months. That is not the job. It never goes away. Your kids are with you all the time. It's, it's, people may think that from the outside, those of us that have done it and do it, that is not the job. I believe that the difference between teachers who um, have different attitudes is that they simply don't necessarily know how to have the learning strategy. They don't know how to teach their students learning strategies, strategies to be successful. And what I think AVID does is twofold. We teach the learning strategies, but we also build the relationship between the students and between the educators. And what I think happened in the pandemic was the relationships and the isolation for many teachers and students of being forced to work from home was very, very difficult. It was very difficult to build those relationships, to maintain that connection, to teach to a black screen if students don't have their cameras turned on and build those relationships between students. It is very hard. And the biggest thing we're seeing is educators themselves didn't have the opportunity to be in community and work together collectively. And so one of the exciting things is, you know, we went from huge professional learning events in person in the summer to doing it virtually. But we made a commitment that we were not going to try to take summer, what we did face-to-face -face, and replicate that. We were gonna look at how can we use the power of technology and the tools that teachers may be using in their classrooms and make it a very interactive relational capacity-based activity. It propelled our professional learning uh, to new levels. It was, it was very hard to do in the time frame we had, but we had excellent experiences to the point where we are not going back. This summer, we are having professional learning for teachers and educators, and we are in day five, well, we're one week from, from our registration opening, and we're already at 18,000 people are coming. A combination of in-person and online. So we are not 
and even in our in-person professional learning, we're infusing strategies to engage because the technology did allow us to tap into some people who needed more processing time or weren't necessarily as verbal. So there were some benefits. So when I think about this two years, I think about we all recognize the importance of relationships. We recognize the importance of the teacher and we recognize that we need to be in community with each other and be supported. So how can we do that both in the classroom, in the school site, with our leaders? How do we help build that thriving learning culture? That's been super important. And that has, has just amplified throughout this pandemic and something that we're going to continue to focus on into the future. When teachers and administrators uh, are coming to you uh, for the first time, and you know you've had some first ones coming through in the in these two years, what are the majority of them kind of seeking out? And uh, obviously, you're providing a, a lot of services, but what what are the main pieces that people are saying? You know what? This is something that we really need, um, and they're they're diving deep into, and they need like Avid to to help them out with. What they're really thinking about is. You know, the other thing the pandemic highlighted is we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we don't even know what, you know, we already have this pathway where we couldn't predict what jobs are going to be out there in 30 years. Now, it seems like the pandemic has made people be even more, oh, you know, I don't even know what's possible tomorrow. So thinking about, well, we can't predict the careers where our students are going to have. How can we prepare them for today with skills that will lead them to tomorrow? So we do a lot of work around these learning strategies, around helping students learn to learn. Um, we call it Wicker, but writing, inquiry, collaboration, organization, and critical reading. And our educators, whether they're content educators from science and math, or people think about academic literacy as a big focus right now, as we know students have learning gaps from this pandemic, one of the biggest ways to help close those gaps is helping students know how to learn. Can I identify a point of confusion? Can I take ownership and agency with my learning? And so we believe, and that's where educators are coming to us, build those communities, help us develop those skills where students can set goals and you know, clarify their points of confusion and, and take more, not more ownership, but really understand how to move their learning journey along in collaboration with their educators. So uh, that's what we've been doing, as well as a lot of work with school leaders around how do they support and sustain these cultures and these learning cultures for their educators that are then influencing their classroom. Yeah, that's got to be a there's a I mean, that's the other forgotten burnout, unfortunately, right? When you're talking about administrators and in school leaders and in the pinches that are that are coming on um, to them, um, you know, how, how do you? help them actually make those uh, those connections? And, and what are some of the uh, strategies and workshops that you provide for that? So we actually help leaders in a, in a bunch of different ways around leading change for educational equity or for equity in terms of thinking about how do we focus on instruction, systems, leadership, and culture. Those are the four domains. And so depending on where the leader is, um, and right now, there hasn't been a lot of time to focus on instruction. It's been a lot of focus on systems and systems that aren't necessarily even, you know, the systems that educators want to focus on. But so we work with them to think about how are their systems set up to really open opportunities for students? Do they have unintended structures and rules that actually gatekeep students out of things? 
How are they thinking about their culture? So they're all interwoven, but helping those, those leaders think about those systems and again, networking with other leaders and building that. We actually have a new term called collective educator agency, where we believe a leader can help and the educators will take intentional actions based upon common beliefs. So if my, I'm a leader and I'm working with my educators to think about, we believe you know, there's a life of possibility for these students and we are going to do these things because we believe that. We're going to expose them to opportunities that they didn't know about for post-secondary. We're going to make sure that they are prepared for the, the most rigorous academic preparation. We're gonna help build their agency and skills. When those educators collectively do that, and the leader with the leader, we believe that's usually powerful. So we're working with leaders to think about how do they build collective educator agency. That's a great term. Um, okay. I've never heard of that. So uh, that's yeah, I, that's you yeah. came up with it. It's ours. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Get an NFT on that. Um, so uh, you know, something else that I've been seeing a lot, especially in in secondary education, as as students are completing their K through twelve journey. Um, are a lot of these profiles or pillars of a graduate. Um, yeah. What kind of things have you seen in that area? Because obviously we do have the grades. Uh, we do have uh, GPAs and, and test scores. Um, I, I know your organization has known this for years that that doesn't tell the whole student. Obviously, you're building skill sets and, and these uh, future-ready uh, workers. Um, what, what kind of things have you seen in that area um, and uh, how is that changing, uh, especially in the last you know, three to five years? I like when I've seen some of the portraits of a graduate are really thinking about, and this is where we're debating on what do you call it, right? Is it future ready skills? Is it soft skills? Is it durable skills? Is it, you know, but it's the idea that when you look at data around what helps people be prepared for, and it takes them through school and life and work, it's again around, can I problem solve? Can I set goals? Do I know how to collaborate? Do I know how to inquire? Do I know how to work with other people? Do I know how to critically read? And do I know how to write? And we know from talking to our alumni, we've been doing this for 40 years, and we have alumni who will tell us stories of not only did they use these skills, these learning strategies in college, or even if they don't go to college, we, we have an alumni we recently met who uses them to develop his own employees. So we think of these things um, almost like what we're calling a possibility index. Like if I know what opportunities are available and I have agency and think I can take actions because I believe that and I am prepared, I'm going to have a high index of possibility and then I'm going to develop and help develop that possibility in others. So I'm excited for the portraits of a graduate. And I think we need to really think intentionally around, it's not just 30 minutes a day of you know, future ready skills. It's how in every classroom are teachers being consistent in the actions and the expectations and the supporting students to develop those. I think that's when you, you see stickiness. And it, and it makes a difference. And then students can be like, okay, I'm in a new job, I'm in a new place. I know how to, I know how to do this. It's, it's going to be hard, but I can handle this. I'm going to set some goals, set some plans, work with others, ask for help and, and move on. So that's what we're hopeful for. Yeah. I, I am excited about it as well. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I definitely know there's some transitional thinking. Um, and again, that's why I brought it up because um, your organization is 
been doing this. So I, I keep saying that because uh, uh, it's true. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting transition for a lot of school leaders, school boards, communities to really start to see things this way. Um, one of the things that, you know, we're multi-generational in education systems, so yeah. it's very interesting. Um, and I like how you how you framed it up as educators uh, learning with their students um, and not against or, you know, for them. Um, it's it's a it's a, a collaborative effort, if you will. Um, what would you like to see in the next year to three years in education happen? I would like to see educators given the opportunity and the space, and this is all levels, from principals, superintendents to classroom teachers, to actually be able to focus on the things that they love and they know that matter. So I'd like to... I'd like to wave a magic wand and have the pandemic be gone. I'd like yeah. to not have people have to worry about mask mandates, et cetera. I'd like to think about how can we take the things that we learned, the gaps that we witnessed, the inequities that existed that were highlighted by the pandemic, and how can we make our systems better? How can we have more students, again, see what's possible? How can our educators again, be energized and, and be in relationship and community with each other. So when I look towards the future, I would hope that there would be more educators working together in an aligned way to really help those students, again, be ready. Because again, we don't know exactly what. We know, we don't know. And so are we preparing students when they're in elementary school to think about, there's gonna be a lot of jobs available in STEM fields, but. You don't see yourself as STEM because maybe you think of a STEM as like, if I don't want to be a scientist, that's it for me, mm -hmm. right? So how how are we helping helping to lay that path to shine spotlights on possibility for the students, but also for the educators? Because everyone's tired. <laughs> and so what can we do to help to energize, to spark, and to sustain them? Because this has been a very rough, two years for so many people professionally and personally we need to have some i think some care and love and time to find some more joy in what we do and, and go back to that original spark of joy that brought people into their why well said um it, it is it's very difficult we just finished out the the teacher burnout month here on disrupt education and and you know, organizations such as yours are, it's pretty amazing to really understand to give everybody grace and room to, to work um, and to be okay with, hey, guess what? We really don't know what's coming, but we're going to be prepared for it, um, which is amazing. I wanted to uh, conclude here with um, say somebody wanted to connect with the organization, um, you, uh, and, and how can they find? Uh, ways to become involved with Avid um, and to check some things out because you have a tremendous amount of value um, that uh, not only well the educational community in general across the board can can really uh, benefit from. So how can people connect? Certainly. So we and have avid.org is a great website. We have lots of information, free resources, opportunities. We have free webinars. We have these things called showcases where we actually go in and see what's happening at schools and they highlight their practices. 
We've also uh, have our summer professional learning, which is open and available both uh, in person and online. So again, people can experience Abbott in that way. When the pandemic started, we leaned in to helping educators in any way possible. And we actually started Avid Open Access, which is a website free of resources, lessons. We're partnering with um, all different types of STEM content to help put together and all different types of resources. And we continually update that regularly. So we have Avid Open Access, we have avid.org. And me personally, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, email um, at you know, Lynn Kep. My name's a little bit unique, so I, I'm pretty easy to find. And so again, just really happy to engage with the community and wherever they are and whatever types of uh, needs and resources they have. We're hoping that we can do something, uh, particularly right now, to help make people's lives just have a little bit more um, joy and be a little bit easier is what our goal is right now. Well, thank you so much for number one, sharing your your educational journey and your why, and also um, the amount of value that, that AVID brings, um, especially in times of need um, and really understanding educators because you are educators, so, uh, which, is, which is wonderful. So thank you for taking the time out on uh, Disrupt Education today. Thank you for the conversation. And for the listeners, thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. Until next time, we'll catch you on Disrupt Education. 